All right, turn please to Psalm 84. It's our third and last look at this. Uh, We'll focus on the last section of it, but we'll start in verse 1 as we have been doing. Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage, As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Let's pray one more time. Father, May the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my um, favorite James Bond movies uh, is uh, Roger Moore's first, which was Live and Let Die. And, uh, you know, it's got some bad stuff in there because it's in New Orleans. It's got some bad stuff like voodoo and and all that. But uh, there's a scene in there that I rather like where James Bond is trapped. Has anybody ever seen Live and Let Die? Uh, you know, there's a scene where he's trapped on this little island, this little hunk of land, and these alligators are coming up. And they're, the alligators are kind of, you know, doing this kind of alligator slow motion, and they have this terrible uh, voiceover sound that kind of is like, you know, kind of this goopy alligator mouth-opening uh, sound effect. It's just awful. And James Bond is trapped. And so what he does is he surveys his situation, and he sees that there are four or five or six alligators kind of in a row, And so he rears back and takes a running start and he just kind of boom, 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 just kind of walks over the backs of them and he gets to shore. And I say that because I begin with that because every time I read uh, verse 7, that scene in Live and Let Die comes to mind. They go from strength to strength. Now, that just happens to come to my mind. And I'm not trying to manufacture something nor am I trying to stuff James Bond into the scriptures. But... It seems to me that a, a trip through the Valley of Baca, a pilgrimage through Baca, a treacherous and difficult journey, a hard place, uh, those who believe in their God find avenues of support and sustenance and comfort and peace. Notice, to recap again, look at verse 6. Notice that verse 6 does not say, as they pass through the Valley of Baca, they find a nice, convenient, pretty spring. 
doesn't say that. It says, as they pass through this arid, desolate place, they, they make it a place of springs. Most of the other Bible translations would say they make it a spring. And that is a classic Christian statement about the faith which dares to dig blessings out of hardships. Uh, one man put it this way, a coming back to the blessings, the devout soul reaps for itself as it lives the God-devoted life. There is a continual growth and increase of strength. You get it. Um, God is the source. And so ever-increasing proximity and fellowship with God allows a person to, to move through this life from strength to strength to strength to strength. And that, that, is, that is more significant, friends, in, in our daily living than keeping a positive attitude and outlook on life. Yeah, we should do that. But what we're talking about is, is a spiritual reality that's known in the soul about a faith that is not arbitrary, a hope that is not arbitrary because it is grounded in someone, the person of the living God. They go from strength to strength, these people. You look at verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. That's the issue. The lesson, I think, is this. The nearer the goal, the stronger the pull toward the goal. Now, you, you, some of you may have noticed that I've lost some weight over the past months. Uh, I've lost 65 pounds. and No, that's not true. I've lost about 34 pounds. But I'll say this. When you, first, when you drop about 10 pounds, you're like, yay, I dropped 10 pounds. Your pants, go to, your, your pants are only exceedingly painful as opposed to excruciatingly painful. You know, you're still going, oh, man, I'm still uncomfortable. You know, and, and, and you, tell, you tell people, I've lost 10 pounds. And they're looking at you going, boy, that's great. And in their mind, they're thinking, wow, I can't even tell. Fatso, you know, they're, they're, not even, they're not even thinking you look different, you know. But when you lose 20 pounds, when you hit the 20-pound mark, you're like, dog, these pants is loose. And they start, things start feeling better and you start, the stairs aren't as bad, you know. You're not huffing and puffing. Your knees don't hurt as bad. And then when, when you lose 25, you have to go to Old Navy and go to the clearance thing and buy a pair of cheap pants, you know, to kind of tide yourself over. But the point is, it gets more and more motivating. The closer you get to the goal, the more you're, you're pulled toward the goal and you don't want to blow it after all that hard work, you know. And I say this, uh, you know, the, the, you press on harder and more confidently and more eagerly the closer you get to a goal. And for the spiritual pilgrims, we press on harder and more confidently and more eagerly when we follow after God closely. The closer we walk with Him, the greater the pull. The deeper the relationship, the greater the pull into the relationship. It's like when you were dating your spouse. You know, all of a sudden you... You start getting into these different levels of intimacy and the, the pull is greater. You know, the intimacy increases. And I say, I say, are you, are you in a... Somebody, I met somebody this morning that said, I don't think he's in the room, but he said, I'm in a spiritual drought. And I was going, brother, we're, we all have periods of spiritual drought. But the answer is, we find strength, spiritual waters, uh, the closer... We follow after God in all relationships, 
proximity produces intimacy. It's great that you took your son to a Grizzlies game a year ago. Quality time. But it's better if you take him every Saturday to the hardware store. Because proximity increases intimacy. Let me ask you this question. What is the first word in the book of Psalms? Ruth. Yeah, blessed. I knew you knew it, Ruth. Blessed. Blessed. And it's a fitting start to the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms and, and wisdom literature and the Lord Jesus himself, in fact, the whole of the scriptures, uh, is, is constantly painting a distinction between the fool and the wise man, the sluggard and uh, the righteous, uh, the, the wicked and the righteous, the, 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 uh, the, uh, those sanctified by faith in me, the Lord Jesus would say. And of course, the inverse would be true. There are people who are not sanctified by faith in the Lord Jesus. There are people who are sanctified in the faith, in, in, by faith in the Lord Jesus. And there are people who are in a state of blessedness and people who do not exist in a state of blessedness. And as children of God, we live and exist in a state of blessedness. And the psalm before us can be viewed through that lens. I just want to show you. You know, it's kind of broken down. If you look at Psalm 84, it's kind of broken down in three sections. And in each section, you know, it's separated by that, that strange word, selah. Nobody really knows what the, the meaning of that is in a musical application. It's some kind of musical term that probably means something like, you know, when you're at the orchestra and the orchestra plays the first movement and uh, you feel like you're supposed to clap, but nobody's clapping and, and you wonder what... It's, it's like this pregnant pause there. That's probably what this is. Okay, so but you have three sections separated by these two selahs. And in the, in the first section, you have verse 4 that says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. All right, in the second section, you have, you have another proclamation. Verse 5, it begins this way. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. You go to the third section and you look at the very last line of the whole psalm, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Basically, you have three views of blessedness that, that uh, find their basis in the same thing. In section one, you have a people who are blessed uh, because they're in love with the house of God for it is the place in which He dwells. And then in the second section, you have a people who are blessed because they are en route to the house in which God dwells. And in the last section... You've got a people who are blessed because they have taken up residence and service in the house of God, the place in which he dwells. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there a difference between religion and theology? There's a huge difference between religion and theology. You know why? Because you're looking at different ologies. Okay? Theology is one thing. Religion is another thing. Religion falls typically under the category of anthropology or sociology. Okay, sociology, the way a, a, a certain culture behaves, the way they, their rituals, their exercises, their beliefs, and the way they, they uh, collect and all that. And then you have anthropology, the way, the way people behave. That's, now, that, that has a, a, a starting point, doesn't it? Theology has a different point, starting point. What is it? Who is it? God. Totally different things, religion and theology. And my point is, everybody, yeah, religion's great. You know, we want to, Think about this denomination and that denomination, these people and these political moves and what these people are doing. And, and we, we, people love religion because they get to talk about all these things that aren't the point. God, the person of the living God. Spurgeon said this, communion, not the sacrament, but fellowship. Communion is the mother of adoration. 
They fail to praise the Lord who wander far from Him. That's speaking about a person. The person of God. You wander far from Him, you worship Him not. Communion is the mother of adoration. There's another quote here that I've, I'll say that I've adapted it, but really what I did was I mangled it and twisted it into a pretzel for my own purposes, but it still reads pretty well. It says this, The spiritual man has a heart so naturalized to God's presence as to affect an abode in it that he might lead his life with God. He cannot be content with giving a visit now and then. Now, let's look at verse 8. It says, uh, let me grab a couple things here. It says, um, uh, Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Listen, this is the English Standard Version. Listen to this. Um, o Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Give ear. You know, folks, we think in those kinds of terms all the time. We, we, we think about our Heavenly Father who hears us. And, but, you know, do, we need to stop and, and consider the significance of God's bent ear. It's, it's no small thing that God would bend his ear to us. Um, you know, the Bible, the Bible asks a, a rhetorical question. The rhetorical question is, is the ear of the Lord too dull to hear? Well, the answer is no. Of course not. His ear is not too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Do you mean to say that if I haven't accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, if I haven't come to the place where I say... Uh, God, I got nothing. I, I, have, I have nothing to offer you. I have no good... My finest hour is nothing. I have no thing to offer you. I have no thing that you would look at and say, well, I got to grant him that. That was a pretty good thing. Come on into my presence. I have no thing. Rather, I take my faith I look at what another has accomplished, which has lived the perfect life I couldn't live, and then lay it down in my stead, in my place, to take the punishment for me. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you look at what He did on the cross, and you say, Oh, I had nothing. His, his work was all sufficient. I embrace that. I believe it. I put my faith in it. And, and by His work only am I allowed in God's presence. All right? Are you telling me that if I haven't come to that place that God will not acknowledge my prayer? This is what the Bible teaches. You know, it's not that God can't hear. You know, it's like when we say, um, uh, when the Bible says, God will remember your sins no more. Well, God doesn't blast himself with amnesia and all of a sudden, I don't even remember the past. He's all-knowing. That's contrary to who God is. But he doesn't hold them to our account. The person who is outside of the Lord Jesus Christ and has the health issue that they're so scared over and they, they conjure up this prayer and they, they try and present it to God, he does not hear in the sense that he does not acknowledge because they're not a people who dwell in the state of blessedness by faith. Let me ask you this question. Can God make a rock so big that even he can't move it? No. Um, can God lie? No. Can God receive sinners into his presence? No. 
He can't do these things. Are you saying that God is limited? Absolutely. There's no question that God has limitations. But He is limited only by His own perfections. He is limited only by His own nature. He cannot let sin go unpunished. Now, why can He have us in His presence? Because somebody else paid the penalty. He can have sinners brought into His presence because they've been cleaned up by the work of another. Somebody paid the penalty. This is salvation, ladies and gentlemen. God can receive and hear sinners because He has accepted a perfect atonement for their sin. This is the God that bends His ear. And that this God bends His ear towards sinners is the very thing of which the angels now sing. It's no small thing that God bends His ear toward us. All right, let's move on to the next verse. Verse 9. Look upon our shield, O God. Um, Look with favor on your anointed one. Now, I want to read you a few things here. I want to do it in the right order here. This is a a literal translation of the Bible. Listen to this one. It says, um, Our shield, comma, see, comma, O God. Our shield, see, O God. All right? Listen to this one. Um... Behold our shield, O God. Behold our shield, comma, O God. All right, let me show you one more. Uh, This one would render it. um, God, our shield, now look on us. I don't pass by that because I, I, I don't think it's right to leave two contrary ideas sitting out there without having discussed them at least for a minute. One... A bunch of translators will put it, uh, God, please look at our shield. Uh, and other scholarly people will say, you are the shield. And one of the reasons that, that it's tempting to do that is because you look at verse 11 and it says, for the Lord God is a son and shield. That same word is used. But if you would do me a favor and flip ahead about two pages of Psalm 89, verse um, 18. Um you will see that there's, there's a... Listen, I, if I had a board up here, I'd write this down. It says, Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Okay? If I had a board, I'd write this down. I'd write... Um, I'd write... Um, our shield, right here, uh, belongs to the Lord. And over here, I'd write King underneath the word shield and then uh, Holy One of Israel under Lord. And that, my point is that that's a parallelism. Okay, they're, they're saying they're saying our shield belongs to the Lord, and they're saying with some similarity, but a an, an, an augmentation uh, of the thought, uh, our King to the Holy One of Israel. And my point is that that's a situation where you have shield and king used in the same sense, and I have I I think that that is what is being said uh, in verse um, in verse nine of uh, Psalm eighty four. Look upon our shield. Oh God, not that God is the shield, but look upon our shield. And so what is, who, what is the shield? The shield, uh, is the, the idea behind that is the messianic hope. Okay? There's an anointed one. There's a king. There's David. Please look upon, O oh God, our supplication to you is, please, uh, your people Israel uh, beseech you, look upon our anointed one. Look upon our shield. Look upon the one that you've put over us because under his peaceful domain... We have the freedom to collect and worship. And we understand that you meet with us. 
when the, when the priestly functions are being carried out and you, and you, you dwell with us mysteriously in the, in the, in the temple, we understand that, that you're in our midst and you are who we crave. Now, of course, ultimately, that manifests itself in the Savior. And for the Christians, under the kingship of Christ, we know that our access to God's presence is guaranteed. And so this verse is an encouragement to you and me. Under our shield, under our Savior and our anointed one, we have access into the very throne room of God. Now look at verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Now I'll stop there for a second because uh, we can understand that. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand or a million or a billion or a trillion elsewhere, Lord. Better is one day in your, your courts because you are in your courts. Okay? But I've stopped there because let's hold the context of that for a second. When we go to the next line, look at it. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now, it's very tempting to, to put your Sunday school message together and go, oh, I got me a point. That's a, I got a good one. You know, you look at that line, you go, I'd rather be a door... Guys, I'd rather scrape gum off the bathroom floor of the Coliseum at a Skinner concert than go dwell in the tents of the wicked. You know, I'd rather take any disgusting, despicable, lowly job than go dwell in the tents of the wicked. But, I think if you do that, you pull it out of the context. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Why? Because we're in the presence of God. And in that, in having been made right to be in the presence of God, there's a great dignity, isn't there? There's a great dignity. There's a satisfaction of soul. There's a fulfillment. We're, we're more, more us than we could ever have been. And so you go to the next line. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I think, I think in that context, the point rather is that there is no menial task in the kingdom of God. No minor thing. You know, I, you, I wish that you knew some of the secret information that, that some of us know. There are people that show up here at the strangest hours. There, there are people that are here at 6.30 on Sunday morning. You know, you, you, know, you come into church and at, at 9.30 you think, oh, about 15 minutes ago somebody flipped on the light switch and, you know, <coughs> let's worship, you know. But, you know, when I pull up, there's a truck sitting out there and there are, uh, there's a guy or two that's already busted it trying to get things right. There are people running around here making coffee and setting up rooms. And, I mean, things are being done all over the place. During the week... I feel like I'm co-workers with tons of you. You know, you walk down the hall, there's people in classrooms, there's kids. I don't even know what's going on, but somebody's watching their kids and there's a TV going, there's Barney music, there's, everything's going on. It's a busy place. There's no menial task. You know, there's a song that we sing that, that uh, has gotten incredible responses. The, the, the words, um, it's, it's that song, Father, I know that all my life is portioned out for me. Uh, in, and I think it's the third verse that says, in service which thy will appoints, there are no bonds for me. My secret heart is taught the truth that, that makes thy children free. Uh, there's another line in it that says, uh, content to fill a little space if thou be glorified. Content to fill a little space. I mean, you look at your life and, and you think, man, I thought I really was going to accomplish something, you know. I mean, here I am in the twilight of my life. This is me talking. And... Um, and I really thought I was going to do something with life. 
you know, and, and you, you know, you, you think, oh, I'm a, I'm a mother, and uh, I get up and I, I get kids ready and I make food and I wash clothes and I do all these things, and I really thought with my college degree I was going to really go out and do something. But friends, there's no menial task in the kingdom of God. Isn't it encouraging that our tasks, be they ever so, seem they ever so small, they're full of great dignity because it's kingdom work. If you're a people who are blessed and you live out your life in a state of blessedness within the context of the kingdom and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, then our work has with it this great dignity. No menial thing. Why? Why is it a great joy to take a humble post in the dwelling, house, uh, dwelling place of the Lord rather than take some vainglorious post somewhere else? Because of the point. Our God dwells in a place where we want to be. Well, would you like an application? Uh, if you do, look at verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He is a, a source and manifestation of all that is outgoing and positive, And He's a source of all that is protective. He is a sun and a shield. He is the answer to our fear and our helplessness and our hopelessness uh, and our defeat and, and the great pervading angst that is in the heart of every man who is searching for someone to worship because he was built to worship. God is the answer to all that. And further, look at verse 11. He is, let me grab another Bible here. He is, um, um, he, he bestows favor and honor favor and honor. Listen to how this one, this is a Jerusalem Bible, don't, don't get it, but it says um, um, uh, a God is battlement and shield, conferring alright, look at your words, look at your words while I read these. The Lord bestows favor and honor. I'm going to read this one. God confers grace and glory. Isn't that a splendid thought? Favor, grace, honor, glory, he is the giver of those things. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walks are blameless. Is there a greater bestowal of grace than that? No good thing does He withhold for them whose walks are blameless. Whose walks are blameless? Those whose faith has been credited to them as righteousness. That's your grace. That's your glory. He is the one in whom we boast. Um, let me start to bring it home by saying this. Um, this is when I first, about a you know a month ago or so, when I first started working on this psalm, um, I've got a, a commentary that's really two commentaries in one book, and uh, so there's about 1,100 pages in there, and so I'm on page 651 or something like that, and I'm I'm just starting to read the little introduction of Psalm 51, I mean Psalm 84, and. Um, and I'm reading it, and uh, this little teeny spider uh, crawls over the binding and starts walking across the page. And I guess I had it in my briefcase. I left my briefcase in the garage, and there's this teeny spider, and he walks about over to here. And what do you think happened? <laughs> See ya. You know, goodbye, spider. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, right before I did that, I, I was looking at it. He was just kind of walking, and I was thinking, I know what you're thinking. You, you crawled across the top of that, and you looked at the white page, and you thought... This looks suitable. This is a good idea. <laughs> and across the page he walks and uh, to his own demise. But I started to think, you know, we do that all the time. I do. I, 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 I 
look at my life and I, I survey things and I think, well, I won't use my judgment and step forward and this looks suitable. I think I can make the call. And, uh, and, and often it's to my own uh, it's to my own detriment. You know, I find that what I thought was a rock or a shelter or a safe place or a harbor mm-hmm. um, is really shifting sand and, and often just a, a byproduct of my own uh, sins making. Well, here we have three sections of the psalm. You know, we, we long for the house of the Lord for a reason, because it is the abode of the Lord. Um, we revel in service to the Lord because it is done in the abode of the Lord, the place where our God dwells. And the middle section, we sojourn to the house of the Lord. And though we may stray foolishly, it is yet the Lord we want. Even in our bad choices, even in our failings, even when we're repentant on on our knees, it is yet the Lord we want. It is a thing to remember. Um, I, it's a strange thing. I long for my wife even when I'm with her. Isn't that an odd thing? You long for your spouse even when you're with them. You, you, I, I long to have her although I already have her. You know, I, I consider this room and I think about some of the people that are in this building tonight. And I think about um, some of the tears that, that have been shed, that I have shed with you as you have watched uh, loved ones go to be home with the Lord. And, um, you know, it's very easy to chalk things up and, and with, with a stupid statement like, well, they're in a better place. And... That's just so insufficient. I mean, it's true. But my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, you you who have lost loved ones who are now at home with the Lord, they are, you know, Jimmy constantly prays, he'll say, felicity and bliss. Heard him pray that? They're in a state of felicity and bliss. They are no longer clouded with sin. They see the Lord in the fullness of His glory. They are in consummate joy. They are never more themselves than they will ever be. It is sublime. It is a state full of joy. And it's a state in which they dwell. They are with God, and yet they long for Him. They're in His presence, and yet they still long for this infinite God. Infinite time in front of them. Infinite God. They long and long and long and long for Him, and yet they have Him. That is, a, that is an eternal hope. It's the state in which those people now enjoy who have passed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my, my point is, if that be the case, why not follow hard after God now? I want to close with a prayer. And uh, I'll let this be our prayer. If you would just bow your heads. This is from a collection of Puritan prayers. Pray this in your heart with me as I read it. O God of my delight, Thy throne of grace is the pleasure ground of my soul. Here 
I obtain mercy in time of need. Here, see the smile of thy reconciled face. Here, joy pleads the name of Jesus. Help me to come to Christ as the fountainhead of descending blessings, as a wide open floodgate of mercy. I marvel at my insensate folly that with such enriching favors within my reach, I am slow to extend the hand to take them. May I never forget that thy eye always sees, thy ear always hears, thy recording hand always writes. May I never give thee rest until Christ is the pulse of my heart, the spokesman of my lips, the lamp of my feet. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for coming.